0: We are, um, as you know, if you've been around the last few weeks, um, in the midst of a sermon series where we're really diving into the life of the Apostle Peter. It's called Peter, the Unlikely Disciple, and we have been taking sort of like this in-depth dive into the life, into the faith, into the character of Simon Peter. Now, Simon started out just like an ordinary fisherman. Until Jesus was walking along one day and said, come and follow me. And the Bible records some events in Peter's life where he was one of the strongest, most faithful apostles that you could possibly imagine. And other times, he absolutely blows it. And I think for me, that just makes him human. It makes it easier for me to identify with him. And I can tell you I've really been learning a lot from this series about Peter, Now, Peter was the rock upon which Jesus said he would build the church. And after Jesus had ascended into heaven and the day of Pentecost had happened and the Holy Spirit had been poured out, the church in Jerusalem was just growing, growing by leaps and bounds rapidly, radically, so radically that the Jewish leaders felt angry. They were threatened by it. They had a couple of major problems with the Christian church. First, they were the ones that had crucified Jesus. And they just wanted this whole story of Jesus to go away, to be done with it. But of course, that wasn't possible because Jesus had sent the Holy Spirit to empower Peter and the rest of the church to go out and share the gospel with great boldness. And God was using Peter and the other apostles to draw so many people to himself. And that led to the second problem for the Jewish leaders. You see, the Israelites were not a free people at the time. They were oppressed. They were living under Roman occupation. Now, fortunately for them, the Roman philosophy on other religions of lands that they took over was that you were free to practice your own religion as long as you didn't disrupt the peace. And as long as you weren't trying to spread your faith and convert other people, particularly Romans, to your faith. And so you see, there's a problem, isn't there? Because Jesus had given the disciples the great commission. You can find it in Matthew 28. It goes like this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, I'm God, and here's the game plan. Church, you're going to go out there. You're going to go everywhere. You're going to go and share the good news about me with the whole world. And you're going to baptize people when they say yes to me. And you're going to go and you're going to help them grow in their faith. You're going to teach them to follow all of my teaching so that they'll be different than the rest of the world. So that they'll stand out. Now, does that sound impossible? Yeah, it does. It does. Accept that I'm always going to be with you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. This is your mission if you choose to accept it. And then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit with great power and great might, and the disciples went right out, and they started doing exactly what Jesus had instructed them to do. Now, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were threatened by this. Because the Christians' mission was in direct conflict with the commands of the Roman Empire not to share your faith with others. Why was this a problem for the Jewish leaders, you might ask? Well, because at this point, early in the game, the Romans didn't distinguish between Jews and Christians. You see, Christians were just kind of a small sect of Judaism. And so the Jews feared that the Romans would punish them for the way these Christians are acting. The Jews wanted the Christians to stop spreading the gospel. And of course they weren't about to do that. And so it presented a problem. So the Jews in Jerusalem began to persecute the Christians. They murdered a man named Stephen. And that caused lots of Christians to flee Jerusalem They spread out into all of the Roman Empire. The early Christian author Tertullian wrote, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It was during this time that Peter left Jerusalem, and he began to share the gospel, to spread it wherever he went. He was the original leading evangelist to go and share the good news about Jesus with the non-Jewish world, traveling around the Roman Empire, spreading the gospel wherever he went. The Bible contains two of his letters, First and Second Peter. He wrote these to Christians that were living outside of Jerusalem, scattered throughout the empire. You see, these Christians were living as small, a small minority group in a great big empire. And that was not a very easy thing to do. I mean, sometimes the Romans were openly hostile to them. But all the time, the Christians were called by God to live in a way that was very different from secular Rome. Romans worshipped lots of different gods, Christians worshipped one God. Romans were often violent toward the powerless people in their society. Christians stood with the powerless. And of course, the Roman sexual standards were very laissez-faire. And so these Christians, living as a minority, absolutely needed some encouragement to live in the ways that God called them to live. Here's what Peter had to say to them in 1 Peter 2, 9, to help these Christians see how God called them to be different. He writes, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result You can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Those words are so powerful Peter is taking the words that were spoken by the prophet Hosea to the people of Israel more than 850 years earlier, and he's applying them to the New Testament church. These words that Hosea spoke were spoken to the people of Israel, but now they're being applied to Gentiles and Jews alike because the church is bigger than just one nation or just one people. Those promises had applied to Israel, and now they apply to us because Jesus has ushered in a new covenant of grace and forgiveness through his life, death, and resurrection. And so now we are the new Israel. And God called the people to be set apart so that the other nations would see God's holiness. Yeah, they often screwed it up. But Jesus had come, and Jesus fulfilled the entire law, and he fulfilled all of the prophecies. He was the ultimate Israelite, and he opened the door wide open for us Gentiles to be added into God's covenantal family. We are the ones who are called to be the light of the world, to be set apart. Peter goes on to say, Dear friends, I warn you that as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Peter says that the church, the people in the church, are living like temporary residents, like foreigners in the land. Which is kind of a funny thing to say because most of the people he's writing to, the people that were living in these places, they weren't foreigners. They were from those places. It'd be like if you had been born and raised right here in Cincinnati, And someone came up to you and said, hey, you're living like a foreigner in Cincinnati. And you're like, no, I'm not. I I love my skyline. I love the Bengals. I, I love Grater's ice cream, all that stuff. I was born and raised here. It's my home. Have you ever lived as a foreigner? Maybe you've lived overseas for a time. Maybe you were born overseas and now live here. We're glad you do. Maybe you've traveled overseas and had an experience that made you feel a little out of place. I remember when I was 15 years old, I had the opportunity to go on a summer exchange program to Sweden. And during the midsummer festival there, the family that I was living with, staying with, went to a big gathering with a a great big Swedish-style smorgasbord. So I'm going through the line, you know, like a 15-year-old boy that wants to eat everything. And I'm taking a little bit of everything. I didn't know what a lot of it even was. And I remember taking a bite of something... And I immediately knew I would never be able to swallow it. (laughs) The smell was horrible. The taste was even worse. And I asked the boy who was my age from the family, I said, what is this? And he told me it was sill. Only I misunderstood him and thought he said it was seal, which made it even worse that I thought I might be eating seal. I later learned that it was pickled herring. Now, the Swedes love pickled herring. They're, like, gobbling it up like crazy. I have not tried it again even to this day. (laughs) And so at that gathering, that celebration, I stood out as a foreigner. I stood out like a sore thumb. Now, that's just a little humorous story about how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to stand out, not in an obnoxious kind of way, but living like foreigners because our lifestyle isn't native to this earth. You see, when we confess our sins and when we put our trust in Jesus as our Savior, God fills us with the Holy Spirit and he empowers us to live for him. And we are called to be set apart, to be different, not trying to copy the world's ways. Now you know, if you have been following Jesus for any time at all you know this is not an easy call it's a life-changing call it's when we stand up and when we say jesus is my savior jesus is my lord i'm living for him i'm not living for me anymore peter's challenge gets even greater as he writes on he says but now you must be holy In everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Not just in some things. Jesus challenges us to be holy in everything. Man, that's tough. Why would we live this way? Peter writes on, he says, For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Or is the message translates it. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. A life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. Peter says it twice. Do you hear it? Our standard, our example of holiness is God. It's not your neighbor who's a generally good person that you want to try and be just a little bit better than. It's not your weird cousin who shows up at Thanksgiving and starts saying all kinds of dumb stuff, and you're like, I can for sure be a little bit better than him. You see, our goal isn't to be better than other people. It's to be holy as God is holy. Of course, this is impossible without the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit alive and at work in our lives, drawing us closer to God and helping us to live for God. And as we grow in holiness, we find ourselves looking more and more set apart from the world, more and more different from the world, and more and more like the likeness of Jesus our Lord. It's a life long process. But the problem is that many of us don't really want to be different. I mean, really early on in our life, don't most of us get taught that conformity is almost always better than standing out? In C.E. Montague's novel, Called Rough Justice, there's a memorable scene in which he describes a little boy named Braun who is going to church for the very first time in his life with his tutor. And Braun sits there and he watches with interest every single part of the service. It's in one of those old cathedrals, and the preacher climbs up into one of those high pulpits that needs a flight of steps to get up to. And Braun hears the preacher start preaching, and he hears some terrible news. It's news about a brave man, a kind man, who was nailed to a cross, who was terribly hurt a long time ago. And this man still feels a dreadful pain, even now, because there was something that, that was not done that he wants everyone to do. Now, little Braun thinks that the preacher is telling the story because there's so many people there that morning, and that they will surely do something about it. Braun is sitting impatiently on the edge of his pew. He can hardly wait to see the first move of people as they start writing those injustices. But he sits quietly and decides that, well, maybe after the service, somebody then will do something about it. Little Braun begins to weep. But nobody else seems upset at all. And the service ends, and the people walk away as if they had not heard the terrible news at all, as if nothing remarkable had happened. And as Braun leaves the church, he's trembling. And his tutor looks at him and he says, "Braun, don't take it to heart. Somebody will think you're different. that story hits a little too close to home. We don't want people to think that we're weird. And so the idea of holiness seems scary because we might just start to stand out. And worse than that, We don't want people to think that we're holier than thou. We all know that that's not a good thing. But real holiness, genuine holiness, the authentic character of being set apart has a much, much deeper purpose than that. You see, the person who is holier than thou is just focused on how they appear to everyone else. They want to look good in the eyes of other people. And while being good, the intent in that might have a basis of goodness, it easily becomes all about us, doesn't it, if we want to be holier than thou. But that's not what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus calls us to be a people who are set apart from the world. He calls us to be a shining example of faith, a city on a hill, and here's why. Matthew 5, 16 says, in the same way, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You see, it's our lives that are the example. It's not a Christian nationalism thing where we're trying to enforce Christianity by the law. No, if Jesus had wanted to do that, he would have done that. He would have gone straight to Rome. He would have overthrown that government. He would have put the laws in place. He would have... Gone to a place of power. But Jesus came with a very different plan. He calls us to live holy lives, set apart from the world, so that when people look at us, they'll glorify God. And doesn't that make sense? I mean, look around. Don't we see enough evil in the world that we easily become so cynical about humanity? So cynical that when we actually see a person doing a kind act for someone else, that we stop, we take pause, we give thanks. It is Veterans Day weekend I want to use a couple of examples here, a couple of pictures that we're going to throw up on the screen. This first one is of a soldier helping to evacuate refugee children. God's heart is for the orphan and the refugee. Thanks be to God. This next one is, the soldier is literally living out Jesus' words in Matthew 25, 35. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. I'm thankful for everyone who does an act of kindness in Jesus' name. Because that is one way that we live as believers that makes us set apart from the world. Jesus called us to be a light to the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Not for our glory, but for the glory of the Lord. Christians sometimes get this wrong when we want to blend in with the world, when we slowly adapt our moral standards to look more like the world's standards and less like the Word of God. Now, that might feel nice. It's certainly easier. It's popular. But the problem is that the world's standards aren't our benchmark, are they? The Bible is. God's holiness doesn't change just because popular culture doesn't like it. Now, we can go to the other extreme, can't we, and try to enforce Christian morality on the secular world through laws. But why should we expect non-Christians, people who aren't Christ followers, to live by Christian standards I mean, it would be like you saying, I want to live according to Muslim standards. Well, you probably don't. You're not Muslim, right? Let Muslims live by those standards. And so, you see, laws, the purpose of laws is to help a society to function properly. And sometimes those laws are going to directly reflect our faith. Think of one like, Thou shalt not steal. That's a good one, right? It applies to everyone. It's good for society. But what about our standards of sexuality? As Christians, those are going to start to look pretty foreign from the rest of the culture around us. And do you know what? That's exactly the way God designed it. I know many of us are old enough to remember a time when our culture more, uh, more exactly reflected Christian values more than it does today. And many of us mourn those things when things used to not be open on Sundays or there were laws that told us what we could and couldn't do on certain times of the day. I understand that. I get that. We just want everyone to know Jesus and to love Jesus, and it hurts when that's not the case. But I think, too, that maybe on a deeper level, sometimes we're mourning this because we miss the position of influence and power that Christians once held in this nation. I mean, think about it. It's a lot easier for us to live out our Christian morality when it's the popular thing to do, when everyone else is doing it, when living for Jesus and living as an American are fairly congruent with each other. But you know, that has not been the norm for most Christians throughout all of Christian history. It for sure wasn't the norm in Peter's day. No, those early Christians were constantly swimming upstream against a Roman culture, against a Roman world that looked nothing, absolutely nothing like the lifestyle that Jesus was calling them to. So if you're watching culture or politics or media and you feel like a foreigner, Peter would say, you are exactly where God wants you to be. Because you can make a difference. You can be a shining example. Or you can get mad and post on social media about how the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Or you can say, yeah, this is pretty much what being a Christian is all about. I'm called to be set apart. You can say thank you Jesus for allowing me to shine an example to my friends to my neighbors maybe even to my family I'm going to get over the fact that my beliefs aren't always popular and I'm going to ask you to empower me with the Holy Spirit so that I can have the courage to live for you my friends this is how we are set apart and it's not always popular and it's not always easy, but what is right is not always popular, and what is popular is not always easy. So do you have the courage to live a life that is set apart? If you do, I say, then let's get busy. (laughs) Let's get after it. Time's a-wasting. Let's stop complaining that the world isn't the way we want it to be and start living differently as an example to the world around us. Are you concerned about unborn children and women who are dealing with the challenge of an unplanned pregnancy that they never expected? I say, good. I am, too. And I say, so are we at Anderson Hills. Email embracegrace at andersonhills.org and we'll help you get connected and show you a way to serve women who are going through these kinds of challenges. Are you concerned about the scourge of drug addiction? Again, I say, good, I'm so thankful you are. And there are ways that you can help there too. Email celebraterecovery at andersonhills.org and we can help you help others who need your help. Are you concerned about inequality and injustice? You can check out our common ground group that meets every other Monday here that talks about issues of injustice and how we can right some of those wrongs. Are you called to help the hungry? Do you know that we have a Bob Drew garden that it raises produce, fresh produce, by the tons of pounds to help those who are in need in our community. You can serve at one of our local food pantries in our area that also put food on people's tables. My friends, there's so much we can do. We can pray. We can give. We can disciple other people. We can serve. We can love. We can live a holy life so that our life is a shining example to our friends and neighbors around us. These are just a few ways that God wants you to say yes and that God will use you to make a difference in the world. Will you pray with me? Holy Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you call us to be a holy people, a people who are set apart, following you, We thank you that you call us to be a light to the world, a city on a hill. And we ask, Lord, for your forgiveness for all those times when we have looked way more like the world around us than like the kingdom of God that you call us to be. Forgive us, we pray. Empower us by your Holy Spirit that we might be bold for you, courageous for you, to stand out, to be different in a world that so longs to see the kingdom of God unfolding in our midst. Help us to love others unconditionally. Help us to welcome others. Help us to shine a light into the darkness. Help us to be faithful to you And be the church that you have called us to be, your people, called out of darkness and into marvelous light so that we might share the light with the whole world. Jesus, you are the light of the world. Be the light for us and for our world. We pray in your name. Amen.